everybody. Welcome back to another episode of MTG Rants. I'm Tanning Grace. That's Ross Merriam. Say hi, Ross. Hi, Ross. Yes, it worked. All right. And uh, <laughs> sorry about the hiatus last week. The time just got away from us. I mean, like, I think real life intervened a lot. I was, I picked up like an extra side hustle and got really busy. Ross was really busy with, you know, his extracurriculars plus magic. I was in mourning, Tannen. That's what That's, was happening. Okay. I was in mourning. That's another thing. I was grieving. For everyone who doesn't know, or I'm sure you can kind of understand where this is going, the Utah Jazz are eliminated from the playoffs in the NBA, and uh, I went in radio silent on Ross for a few days. Heart-wrenching fashion. Losing four straight games and blowing a 26-point lead in the fourth of them. All right. I don't think we should talk about this too much because I don't want you to get too angry or whatever for the show, which it's fine or whatever. I just don't want to. But the playoffs have been nuts this year, by the way. Like the end of the um, – God, I literally just blanked the teams. Uh, the end of the, the Phoenix and Clippers game the other day where they had to do the alley-oop with 0.9 yeah. seconds left. And, stuff. and it's like I the, went nuts. the semi-illegal alley-oop, but technically legal off the inbounds pass. Yeah, because you can't you can't goaltend off of an inbounds pass or whatever. Yes, so, yeah. because, it's, because you can't, because it's not technically a shot. It's not a shot. Yeah, exactly. So, so um, it, yeah, it's a yeah. really weird play that they apparently ran a few years ago. Yeah, and I mean, it worked, which is nuts. I had a friend that was actually there and was texting me during the game because... Uh, if I had to root for a team in the playoffs this year, I was rooting for Utah, obviously because of you, but I was also rooting for Phoenix just because I want to watch the world burn. You know, I love <laughs> parody. I want to see these teams that are different and don't have quote-unquote superstars on them, even though Phoenix has a bunch of really good players and stuff. And Yeah, they're a very well-built team. And, and if you look at the you know history of the NBA since the the end of the, the Warriors dynasty, we've had, we're going to have four straight separate champions like you know 1819 was the was toronto 1920 was the lakers and and 2021 is going to be someone else and 1718 was the end of the warriors so we're at four straight years which hasn't happened in quite a while um and it does seem like that the nba as a league just has an incredible amount of parity right now really hasn't haven't seen this since the late 70s um and i and, i love it like, yeah i actually love it it, because it also is coming at a time where there's incredible amounts of talent. It's not like there's parity because the talent levels are low. It's parity because the talent levels are so high. And look, I'll admit to being a hypocrite too. I love parity in sports unless it's my team winning all the time. Yes. Then I love that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Obviously. Like, you know, when LSU is really good or something, we're winning all the time. That's great. <laughs> you know, but. And, and so much now I, I think comes down and this is uh, the Utah Jazz radio announcer talked about it on his podcast. And I agree so much now is going to come down to just matchups in the playoffs. Like the Jazz ran into their worst matchup in the Clippers, yeah. a team yeah. that could play effectively very well five out. Like it, also, it, they they got to render uh, uh, what's his name pretty useless in a few games. Um, I mean, it's not that they rendered Rudy useless; it's yeah. that they well, he didn't have the impact that he normally would have yeah. in a game. And and a lot of the issue part of your team, like, a lot of the issue was actually him not having the impact offensively because Utah didn't have anyone that could break the paint with Conley injured and Donovan hobbled. Like, yeah, and, yeah. and Ingles was just unable to beat guys one on one because he's not good at it. He's not athletic, and and that's where. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just not his game. <laughs> yeah. um, he's not an isolation player, and neither is like Boyan Bogdanovich. Um, uh, you know, there there's not great isolation players, so and nobody could stay in front of it. Like the defensive issues were not Rudy's fault; they were everyone else's fault for, because nobody. But like what you learn, what you should have learned from the series is that the fact that the Jazz were a top five defensive team in the league this year is remarkable because it's literally Rudy carrying them to that yeah, it's Rudy by himself all year. Much, yeah. 
And if you look at the the Western Conference Finals now, both teams are going back to uh, early. The the Clippers have gone back to playing drop big, uh, where the on a pick and roll, the big man hangs back in the paint and sort of you know sort of tries to play both players while the the man who was screened gets back in the play. Uh, and it's difficult to do, but it's pretty common. Um, and uh, like they they literally can't do that against Utah. Like Utah picks that apart, but they feel comfortable doing that against. Uh, against Phoenix should be telling, but instead everyone just sees DeAndre Ayton getting dunks because it's of the drop pick defense, and like oh, and thinks Aitner is better than Rudy. But uh, those are the things that that you know if you're not paying attention the entire season, you don't really get to see. But yeah, the the NBA is, is incredible right now, so should be a really good run through the rest of the playoffs. I've I've made my peace with it, but it there takes were a few days. days like I actually like. I mean, I think anyone who listens to the show every week remembers when the Braves were eliminated from the playoffs last year. We were one win away from the World Series. We were up 3-1 against the Dodgers, who won it all. And I was like, when we won the third game, when we went up 3-1, we were up 2-1. Obviously, I'm happy. It's, like, better than I could have imagined. I just wanted to keep pace with that team and get the experience kind of thing. Yeah. And then when we go up 3-1, I'm like, oh, my God, we could actually do this. Because our team was so good last year, even though we, like, literally had zero starting pitching. That's neither here nor there. But the rest of the team was, like, elite, you know? And so it was it was good enough to win a World Series. That was a, that was a good enough team. You know, two of the three things that matter, we were literally elite in. We were number one and number two in the league. And when we got eliminated, I felt like I was hungover for like two days. I was just like, you know, um, even though I was sober, like I was depressed, you know, moping. Like you said, I was in mourning. Speaking of sports, though, I get involved on something on Twitter a couple days ago, and I wanted to hear your kind of opinion and response to this. And we could talk about it for just a second. So sorry for the extra sports stuff at the beginning of the show for people here, but... um. This this got from uh, I'm, I'm like tangentially attached to this on Twitter because it's a Warzone streamer. It's a game that I like to watch, and his name is Aiden, and he's probably like the best player in the world or one of the best players in the world. So, like, and I'm gonna try to like not dunk on this guy because that's not the point of this, and that wasn't the point of it on Twitter. But it's just uh, the thing that he said on Twitter spurred a big conversation, and I got I started seeing it on my timeline because I'm I'm close to that. You know what I mean? I do follow some people. You know what it is, and you follow some. You follow some basketball stuff, so you see a lot of basketball stuff. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Right? And uh, he just tweeted out, what is the least skillful popular sport? I was thinking it had to be baseball. And obviously, he gets kind of roasted for this opinion. There's some people that agree, but he gets roasted for this opinion. And, uh, you know, I just retweet with, you know, my opinion, and it got, you know, a bunch of discussion going on. I saw some other people start talking about it. And I just retweeted with a very simple sentence. And it has to do with... You know, why I think baseball is actually the most skill-driven sport, especially out of the popular sports. And it's, uh, my, my tweet was very simple. It's, Hitting a baseball is probably the hardest thing to do in sports, period. That's it. And I, I tried to, like, convey my message to other people. It's hard to do over Twitter, you know, blah, blah, blah. But the point I'm trying to make is, is um, when you think about the popular sports and you think about, like, actual skill versus, like, athleticism... I think you can get away with in baseball being probably the least athletic out of all the other sports. You know, obviously positions vary. You know what I mean? Like, you know, kickers and football, whatever. Like they're probably not jacked or whatever, but football players are usually in very, very good physical condition. Same with basketball players, same with hockey players, you know, the endurance that's involved. In baseball, you're more explosive, right? And you do see some guys that are on the less physical fit end. You know what I mean? It's 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 Bartle, less than it used Cologne. to be. Yeah, it's less than it used to Sabathia. be. <laughs> David, David Wells, you David know, Wells, car- yeah. carrying a few extra pounds, you know, however you want to put it. But 
Um, it, what would your answer to this question be? If you just like, like off the top of your head and you're not being ridiculous. Some people obviously have ridiculous answers to this. Yeah. So I think the the key, obviously the, the, the question is a little nebulous because nobody really understands what you mean by skill. Um, but there's, I, when it comes to, you know, being good at a sport, there's your, I think you, I would define skill as the aspects of the sport that are separate from the athleticism required to play it. Same. And that's, I think that's where you saw that I was going with this. Yeah. Um, so if we're acting under that definition, which is still not, you know, perfect. Um, right. Of course. Then I like think being one fast of, is a skill, but we're not going to, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think the, the metric that I would use to evaluate it is, how quickly do young prospects make an impact at the highest level? And, and baseball it, is by far the slowest. Yes, like, like not you even know, close. You, 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 it's only like top, even top prospects take a couple years in the minor leagues to develop, right? If I remember correctly, the last person to go straight from being drafted to the major leagues was John Olerud in like the late '80s or like like 1990 or something. It'd be like literally forever ago, like over 30 years ago. Yeah. And when it comes to basketball, it's rare that rookies have a hugely positive impact. So they, they'll flash skills, like even a guy like like Anthony Edwards, you know, the, the number one pick last year was up for rookie of the year this year, put up like 18 points a game, but on low efficiency, you know, had some nights where he was great, but overall was probably a negative impact player for Minnesota this year. Um you know, it doesn't happen that often. I think it's football, the sport that, like, rookies can have a real huge positive impact because I think football is the most a athletically demanding. Oh, right? not a question. That's right? why like, That's why they can only play once a week and they only play 16 games. Like, football destroys your body. And, and so... And your mind and other stuff amongst it. We're not going to yeah. get into that. Yeah. But you can you can compete at that level athletically in your early 20s. In your um, teens, you see some eighteen and nineteen year old kids sometimes. You know, like no, sometimes you, you, you got to spend three years outside of after graduating high school before you can be drafted. Oh, they, in the NFL. I forgot about that rule now. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, so you, it's like you know, twenty one year olds. I guess you do see more like eighteen, nineteen year olds in the end, and sometimes being drafted in the NBA. So there's a the comparison isn't isn't great because rookies They're similar. In the, yeah, yeah, well, rookies in the NBA are, tend to be younger than rookies in the NFL. Yeah, that's um, that's a point. Yeah, but you know, the, and. Uh, also, I would say, like, sports where you decline really quickly are sports where athleticism matters a lot more because, you're, you know, you start declining there in your late 20s, early 30s. And sports that are, are where you can get by on less athleticism and are more dependent on just building that, that skill are going to be sports where there's a flatter aging curve. Um, so even though I do think, you know, football is obviously still a very skill-intensive sport, although, you know, depending on position as well, um, but that's, I think that's probably the one that I would say is least of, of the popular sports. Like, you know, hockey, you have to develop facility on, on fucking ice, on skates and with a, with a stick like that, you know, and, and basketball, there's just this, you know, just shooting, passing, dribbling, all of those skills that you develop, uh, and handling, handling the basketball. There's not so much like handling the football. It's, it's just throw and catch or, or you know, get it handed to you and run. Yeah. And like, I, I just wanted to throw like a few numbers out there for like the numbers people too. Cause like, obviously this is an opinion. There's no clear answer that is definitely 100% correct. But I think the most correct answer is baseball because of hitting. And 
like when you think of it, you know, like some people said you're uh, saying in which one is most skill intensive. Yeah, most skill intensive. And like you know, some of the answers that people gave me, like I kind of rolled my eyes at a few of them, or I'm like, I, I think you're missing the point here. Even though some answers were good, like someone mentioned the seven ten split in um in bowling, and I'm like, well, that's a thing that almost never comes up. You know, they almost never attempt it. This isn't something that you. Have. I'm talking about like the basic function of the sport is a pitcher throwing a ball to a hitter, and they have to hit it right. And someone said something about like. You know, uh, baseball. Baseball's hard, but I don't think it's harder than the the half court shots Dame hit like back to back, whatever in those games. I just I just wanted to laugh that one out of the out of the gym because I'm just like, come on, he shoots three thousand yeah. shots a year and he does that four or five times. I, I think you the know? other metric that you could use is like if you took professional athletes at every popular sport and had them play all the other sports, which one would be the hardest for uh, people to adapt to? And I I also think baseball is right there. And so like yeah, the, the numbers that I was gonna say is like. Let's think about this. In baseball, if you have a 300 average, which means your average is .300, you are considered elite. That means you have successfully hit a baseball and got it past the defense, like however you want to define this, 30% of the time, right? In no other sport would you be considered even remotely close to adequate at 30% of the time. In fact, you'd get your ass cut. But in baseball, you're considered elite. Like we're talking about, uh, there's there's teams in the in the major leagues right now, hitting like two ten and two fifteen as a team, because of how difficult it is to hit a baseball. Another thing, average fastball is about ninety to ninety five miles an hour, right? When a pitcher throws it to you, do you know how much time you have to react to that? I could do the math. It's sixty it's, feet six inches. Yeah, it's sixty feet six inches. It's 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 about point six seconds, if I remember. Yeah. Right. It's like point six or point eight, depending. Whatever. I can't remember the exact numbers, but you have less than a second to hit that baseball. Now, here's the other wrinkle to it. Not everything's a fastball, not everything at the same speed, and not everything stays straight. Right? They throw, like, seven other pitches, and they all move. And here's the other big part. You have to figure that out, and then by the time, what is that pitch? Where is it going to be? Is it a strike? And should I swing? And then, the if fact- I should swing, how should I swing? Yes. I played every sport, besides hockey. Like, there's no ice in Baton Rouge. Like, you know what I mean? Like, where I grew up, there's just ice does not exist, you know, kind of thing. So I can't play that sport. But I've played pretty much every sport. Um, golf was the most humbling, but baseball was the hardest. And I'll I'll tell you this. I could never hit. I've never been able to hit. And I'm still to this day have no idea how anyone ever hits a goddamn baseball. I, I just have no idea how you physically do it over and over again successfully. Like, the, especially the good players, the ones that have like long careers. I just, I, it, it baffles my mind that you can actually do this as a skill. Because I think as an actual thing that you have to do repeatedly, it has got to be the hardest thing to do in sports, period. And I, you know, you can, you can, you can say some like niche thing somewhere else, but I think you're missing the point. Like, this is a basic thing you have to do in the sport to compete. You have to do this three times a game. Yeah, this you is know? the fundamental, this is yeah, what dude. the sport is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the sport is someone throwing a ball at a dude and the other dude trying to hit it away from all the other people. Yeah, kind of thing. So, I mean, we don't have to go too more into that, but it was just, I wanted to hear your opinion on it and if you kind of agree with me because some of the answers, it's like, uh, what's that joke? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills when you like see yeah, some people's the, responses to the you. Yeah, like, Yeah, they're just like, you're wrong. I'm like, I don't know. Look here, you might disagree with me. I can't be wrong. <laughs> like, it's, it's pretty impossible for me to be wrong. Yeah, or I mean... People don't understand how hard baseball is. Yeah. You know, like, you know, it's it's waned so much in popularity, mm-hmm. too. So, like, fewer people are watching it, especially younger yeah. people. 
The game uh, is definitely dying. Yeah. Yeah, and I I agree that it is it is one of the least athletically demanding sports, but. You know, there's there's a reason it takes people years in the minor leagues to get to the point where they can play at the major league level. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I kind of I kind of hate the physicality of it because like you're asked to be as explosive as you possibly can be for very small amounts of time, like you know, delivering a pitch, running to first base, swinging a bat, and then every other minute you're just standing around. It's like really rough on your body. Like you, you have to. Like I'm not saying you don't have to do this for other sports. Obviously, you do. Like football is actually like I think one of the better comparisons to the physicality of baseball and the fact that, like, how long is a football game? What is it? Is it uh, how many minutes is every quarter? Fifteen. So it's sixty yeah. minutes of game time. Yeah, I think someone did the math on it. I think they're actually active for like eight and a half minutes total, yeah. or something like that. And like that's a lot. <laughs> like that is still going to kill you. You know, like physically and stuff. So. Um, anyway, so let's kind of move into what we were going to talk about today. And I meant to kind of, you know, give us a little bit of a, a, uh, a, a preview at the beginning of the show, but, uh, MH2 has been out for about two weeks now, uh, on Magic Online, lots of stuff going on there. So we're going to talk about what we think of it, like is tier one, tier two, all the fun stuff's going on there, like why we think stuff's good, et cetera, et cetera. But before we get into this, we're starting to get an established metagame mm-hmm. and we want to break have... down what that metagame is. Yeah, exactly. I have, I don't know if apology is the right word. I have amends to make, maybe? I don't know if I did <laughs> well, I, I don't, you, I didn't you do don't own, wrong. You don't owe an apology to the audience at all, right. but you do owe an apology to a certain card for Modern Horizons. Yes, and, and I'll say this. So, overall, anyone who's who listens to most of the episodes, you know that when the sets come out, we do our top eight episodes, or most overrated, underrated, et cetera, et cetera. And this is not me calling you out, Ross, but I think I'm winning overall. Like, over, like overall. Like, it, it might be, like, a lot, but I think I'm doing a little bit better than you. A little bit better overall. Yeah, I'd probably say that's that's true. Depending on how you want to look at it, especially if we throw the Lurit, like, the, 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 the Orion thing out the window, this puts you firmly in the lead. Because I I talked about how I thought Dragon Rage Chandler would be, like, you know, good to, good to playable in Legacy. Like, okay. And I just didn't see it in Modern. And I was so wrong. Like I mean, so so wrong. I, I may not have put it in my in my list, but when you said that, I said good pick, and I agreed with you. Yeah. So yeah, I, I'm yeah. not escaping unscathed on the on this here. The thing is, you can say that's a good pick and not te- necessarily agree because like it's a good card to have in like that kind of slot, right? Where like you know some people were like, because here's the thing. The the reason I said that is like the 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 press that it was getting, and for the decks that it was getting press in, almost everyone was like, I don't see this deck playing this card. And I was right. Like, I'm not, you know, you're not seeing this in, like, Jund and, like, you know, and, like, Death Shadow and stuff like that. Which, I mean, like, Death Shadow seems to have fallen off the map it's up right now. But the decks that you're seeing it in, and the more that I'm watching it get played, the effects it has on a game. And I, I hate saying this or whatever. Like, you know, it's so early and I don't want to talk about cards getting banned. But I think eventually, a few months down the road, if this card is this ubiquitous, there's, I think, I think we're, we might see the end of Mishra's Bobble or something at some point. Yeah, and I think uh, this I, might be one of the like the tangential things that makes it happen. If you get what I'm saying, there are two cards that I will entertain a discussion as to whether or not they should be banned, and they are Mishra's Bauble and Urza Saga. Mm-hmm. And it's a little early for Urza Saga. Like, let's let this card play out at least a few months. It's not yeah. like it's utterly dominating the format right now. We will talk about how good it is in the decks that we like it in, but and you get what I'm saying here. Like, I don't think the card Dragon Rage Chandler should be banned. And I don't think we should have that kind of discussion unless it just gets absurd and you and like too ubiquitous. But like having the card, uh, having 
bobble be in like all the decks with it and like what it's doing to other stuff. It's like maybe a thing, you know, especially if like Urza makes a big comeback, which we're seeing that kind of being on the edge. You hear, you know, it's it's Urza's always looming, I feel like, over modern. Because like whenever there's a good Urza deck, it's never remotely fair. You know, but it's gotten so many cards banned out of it in the last like few uh, last year or two that you know it's kind of not whatever. But let's go ahead and move in and start discussion since we're talking about red one drops. I think the deck you talked about this, and I, I want to kind of talk about this. You think there's like kind of like four pillars or like how? Do yeah, you that's this? the word. I was trying to think of the word when we were planning out the the show. Pillars of the metagame. Yes. Yeah. And the the first one that you wanted to talk about is another red one drop, which it, you know it. All of these kind of work together a little bit, but I get what you're saying when you talk about uh, Swift Spear decks. Yeah, these are, uh, you know, prowess decks essentially uh, is usually how they're labeled, but this was the the dominant pillar of the metagame pre-Modern Horizons 2 and it has stuck around. Uh, is it prowess won one of the challenges last weekend uh, and has gained because it's a very good home for Dragon's Rage Channeler. And now the, you see the list these days of is it or not playing Sprite Dragon. They're playing 12 one-drops. So the eight prowess creatures and four Dragon's Rage Channeler. And I, I was very loved, impressed by it. Yeah, I never loved Sprite Dragon. It always felt awkward because it, it takes like a couple turns, you know what I mean, for yeah. it to kind of get going. It, it, and it was, it's a hit or miss card. Like sometimes it looks yeah. really good because the flying oh, is super yeah. relevant and it, and it grows really quickly. But yeah, it's it's a, sort of a weak top deck, whereas Channeler is usually a one-mana 3-3 three, three flyer late in the game. Um, and, uh, and really... The most impressive part of it in Prowess is giving the deck some card selection that it really needed, and I think that's the that's the aspect of the card that I really underrated Same. when I when I was looking at it, and I thought like, yeah, you'll get a couple surveils out of that. Is that really that good? And it turns out, like, yes, it is. One, it helps you enable Delirium that much more effectively. But you know, these decks that are playing Dragons or Channel are decks that usually don't have a lot of card selection. It's like Mishra's Bauble. The Is a Prowess deck also has um Storming Entity, like a little bit of scrying off Expressive of that. And then and, and iterations. So it, it could use a little bit more, and now it's got that in a very good package, one that fits cleanly into the deck. And I hundred percent agree with you in like in, in all aspects, like the way you're talking about the card and the way it works with these, because I kind of missed that too, where I was like, I didn't realize how good Surveil was gonna be. And it's I think it's one of those things where like you can be like, yeah, I think it's going to be good, but until you see it play out, right? When you're watching a close game, and someone's just like, you know, play my Dragon Channeler, like, play a bobble, like, surveil something in the yard, surveil again, leave that one on top now, and, like, over the span of, like, like let's say a tournament, if you get to change your top deck a couple times a tournament from a land to a spell, like, later in the game, this is going to win you multiple games over the span of, like, a weekend, something like that, and that is huge, and I just, like, completely underrated it, just like you. Yeah, no, it it really is. Uh, you know, I always say magic is a game of small edges. So, uh, you know that 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 is a bigger deal that, than both of us thought. It makes the deck a little bit more efficient too, with just more one drops. There's also some synergy where you sometimes you get to surveil lava darts into your graveyard and like yeah, you know, get an even more explosive turn than you otherwise would have, and sort of generate a little card advantage off of it. So, uh, r- really, really strong in is it prowess? I think at this point, like. You know, with, with Clever Lumimancer and, and Lean and Lightscribe, people were trying Boros Prowess decks with Luris as a companion. Uh, there was still mo- there's still a little bit of Mono Red Prowess that is usually an Obosh deck, but when it comes to this pillar, you know, is it Prowess is far and away the most successful and, in my opinion, best variant. Um, you know, Expressive Iteration really did put the this version over the top. It's so much better than Light at the Stage. 
Um, and, and, you know, Stormbring Entity is, is still quite good as well. Um, these decks are also now taking advantage of Unholy Heat, another, yeah. you know, small uh, upgrade that, you know, Aspiring Spike really, he was the first person I saw start playing the card a lot and really championing it, and now you see quite a bit of it, but basically alongside Dragon's Rage Channeler. You usually see those two cards together, because if you're deliriuming a little bit, you're and you're a red deck, like, you want a spell that can both kill your opponents, uh, you know, like Noble Hierarchs, like Noble Hierarchs and stuff on turn one, Raghavans on turn one, but also answers really pesky things late. You know, it can it can kill Primeval Titan. It can, Croxa. you know, kills different Crocs. It kills different Planeswalkers. Is always going to kill Storming Entities as long as you're Delirious. So, um, you know, th- this is now taken over that, you know, Seal of Fire, um, Wild Slash kind of slot that we had. The, the just extra couple shocks uh, and, and another upgrade. So, uh, I, the Swift Spear decks aren't as dominant as they were before because there's a lot of other decks that have risen to, to combat them. But that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, obviously it's a good thing, but certainly not something that's gone away. You know, we did see a lot of prowess decks very early on. And I think that was partly because people were just trying out the new toys. Right. We've, right. We've seen it come back a little bit in the last couple of weeks and just sort of let everybody know, like, you know, we're, we're still here. <laughs> hey, we're still here. I'm still good. Yeah. And that will be the only time on the show that we, we mention Aspiring Spike. I think we're going to mention him at least one more time with a deck that I like that's kind of uh, Tier 2 moving. We're going to mention one, him but... a million times. He's just the yeah. best modern streamer out there. And yeah. built, like, even in the last couple weeks, he's probably built four really good decks. Like, yeah. uh, it's unbelievable. Have you, heard his, have you heard his name for Dragon Rage Channeler, by the way? I love Dar- it. Darcy. Yeah, they just call it Darcy. Which, like, yeah. I was watching his, sh- his, his uh, channel, his show, I said his show, like his stream. Uh, and they said Darcy, and it took me a second. I started to type in the chat, like, like what's Darcy? And then I was like, oh, it took me a second, because everyone calls it DRC. So yeah. it just makes sense. So when he's when he says Darcy, I always get an image of Jefferson from Married with Children in my head. Oh, yeah, okay, okay. Which Jefferson? Hmm. Jefferson Darcy. He's he's no, which, like the... Which actor? Oh, um... The second one, like, that everyone remembers? Yeah, um, Ted McGinley. Oh yeah, I wouldn't know that name. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, the one with the flowing hair. Yeah, the one with the yeah the ridiculous hair. Like he had always had good yeah. hair. Yeah, but I, I don't think he did anything else big in his career, right? Probably not. But like I, that's the only. So I, I don't know if that. I, I understand that it's from DRC, like sounding like Darcy, and I, I have to imagine very few people will understand a married with children reference in 2021. But it, I can't hear her name and think about it in that instance without hearing the laugh track behind it. Because, like, it was almost always, like, you know, something ridiculous, you know, that they were doing with her. Because she was, like, one of the... She wasn't herself comic relief, but she was the... She's, like, the... I don't know if there's a word for this, but in... You know, they always have someone that... It's like Kramer. It isn't always... It isn't always him being the comic relief, but something involving him is. You know, but he's... That's a bad example, because he, he was comic relief. But everything involving their character, it's, like, never just, like, a normal... Normal yeah, occurrence. They're, they're just always ridiculous and absurd. Yeah, like they are the reason something bad is happening, something funny is happening, something like they're the reason for they're there to like move the stuff along. They have comedic you know? gravity. There you go. I like that. There we go. I like that. If that's not a thing, we should trademark that. So yeah, but yeah, um, Swissware deck still really good. They still kill you really, really fast. Which, I mean, that's the thing in this format, right? Like you need to make sure that you can either kill someone very quickly or you can disrupt them to where you have time to kill them the next few turns because. You know, I don't know if it feels faster to me, but the format feels a little more efficient with some of these new cards because we've got so many good one-mana cards. Yeah, it, I agree that that it's not faster, it is more efficient. That's a perfect way of putting it, and that's really, you know, 
that that's just a consequence of any format that is growing in size over time. Mm-hmm. You know, standard has, Eventually, yeah. has a cyclical nature where mm-hmm. it's most efficient at the end of at the uh, in the summer when it's largest, and then it gets li- less efficient after rotation. But modern is is a format that, by virtue of its of being non rotating, is always just going to keep getting more and more efficient. Mm-hmm. And exactly. the, both modern horizon sets have really ratcheted up the efficiency of the format quite a bit. Um, and that's why you just see curves, you know, flattening. There's more just ones and twos. You don't see mm-hmm. as many threes and fours. Luris, of course, has a big deal to do with that in, in modern specifically. But even without Luris, you would see curves be uh, flattening a lot more than than otherwise. And speaking of MH2, like really, you know, affecting the format, there's the deck that I think came out of nowhere, like, you know, that like changed the most and had like the, the biggest, like it wasn't already an established deck. That has become a pillar of the format and I think has gone through the most changes since MH2 has come out. Because boy, is this deck changed daily. And I'm just going to call this the Asmore decks. You know, the Asmore yeah. cookbook food Asmore decks. Asmore Califragilistic XPL Docious. I like that as well. Um, and, you know, we we saw the original version start to move into what everybody called like, you know, like some form of Hogak. Because they were using, you know, Feasting Troll King and getting all the stuff and have all these moving parts. And then... It almost felt like it actually did the Hogak progression, progression where the original version of this deck, you could tell they were powerful. There's a lot of moving parts, a lot of stuff going on in multiple ways it could go. And then they've kind of just condensed into what's actually important and powerful, even though it was a band that made Hogak do that. Which, by the way, I think it's hilarious, and we never we never talk about it very much, that the ban, the first ban when they did Hogak, when they banned Bridge, yeah. actually made the deck better in my opinion. Everybody stopped trying to do all this fancy shit and do all this, you know, this secondary weak edition, and they just tried to kill you with Hogak, which was just a better way to do it. Yeah, they put Seder Wayfinder in their deck, so they had yeah, more, you know, exactly. more, were more consistently casting Hogak on two. Yeah, exactly. You're way, like, you Hogak on two, like, every game. It's great. But uh, with these with these Asmore decks, you know, the first ones we saw were, like, the food decks with all the, you know, the green going involved, all this cool stuff. And that was a really good spec, by the way. So, like, I've actually been doing a decent bit of uh, buy-sell trading lately. And uh, Feasting this, Troll this King went from, like... side hustle? It's one of my new side hustles. I just... Dude, I, I, I redid my whole collection the other day, and I'm like, I have so much stuff. Like, so much stuff. Like, I need to get rid of some of the stuff. Anyway. And so... Um, and I opened so much MH2, I was like, I need to, you know, get rid of some of this. But, uh, like I was saying, Feasting Troll King went from, like, a 20-cent card to, like, a 4 or $5 card overnight. And then, like, now it's not even really in the deck very much. Like, some people are still playing black-green versions. But it seems like the adopted versions now, the ones that are, like, being adopted as the best ones, are just straight, like, black-red or black-blue. Where they don't even do the real it's, Feasting it's Troll King. blue-red or blue-black. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Blue-red or blue-black. I, I said yeah. that wrong. But the Golgari ones are still around. I know Jerry uh, Jerry Thompson has written about it, and he thinks that's the best version. Um that that said, the Golgari version that he's advocating for is more similar to what the the blue versions are doing. They're slower. They're these are grindy decks, and they don't, because the engine just generates so much material, so much card advantage. If you're able to leverage food um, uh, in a, a way that you know does something, and Asmore lets you do that by interacting with them. Urza lets you do it by turning it into a lot of mana. Troll King and uh, and in green, you also have now Trail of Crumbs is the big card advantage engine, which early lists were like either playing like one or sideboarding it. I think Jerry's moved that number up and made the deck a little slower, a little grindier. The green versions are still a little bit more explosive because of Troll King. Um, and the, but the, and the, the Izzet version has like Raghavan 
And then the the demure versions play a little bit more removal. They're playing like bone shards. The red gets to play lightning axe. But you're mainly there for the blue with Urza and Emery and Thought Monitor. All yeah. really good grindy cards. So from outside looking in, uh, you know, I haven't played with the decks a lot. Uh, my friend Brian Basoko is going to play. There's a local modern tournament. He's playing one of them tomorrow, and he's still wishing washing a little bit back and forth um, on which ones. I got to say the red version with Ragavan seems more explosive. Like more often in the first couple turns, you're, you're looking at their board and it looks like Hogak where you're like, they have 11 permanents in play on like turn three. Like there's just so much stuff going on. But I kind of like leaning towards the blue black one because I feel like, like you said, it's a little more resilient. It grinds a little bit better. It goes longer. I think it's going to play against the hate probably a little bit better post board. In my opinion, again, this is for, from, you know, I haven't played with the deck too much. And also like, I just like a lot of the cards, and I think Urza and Thought Monitor are really good backup plans and can dodge some of the hate. Like, if you know, if people bring in Graveyard Hate against you, these cards literally don't care about that. You know, you don't... And, like, that's the thing about, you know, uh, the Feasting Troll King. You know, I was talking about that. I was like, how good is this deck against Surgical Extraction? Like, they extract one of your Troll Kings early. Like, can your deck win as much? And, you know, but then, you know, the more I said it, I say this, like, I remember Brian talking about it. He's, he said that, like... He found himself, you know, going further down on the amount of Urza's that he was playing because he wasn't, you know, utilizing it as much as he felt like he needed to. You know, he was doing the other stuff more kind of thing. So I'm not sure. Do you have an opinion on which one you like better? I, I do. We've played all the versions on Versus. So I've seen a little bit of all of them. And I I agree with you. I think the Demir version is the best version. Um, I think it's the most consistent. I, um, you know, Raghavan is really yeah, explosive too. when it connects. But when it doesn't, it can get blanked on the battlefield. And these decks yeah. don't have a ton of removal, especially outside of getting Asmore going. And once you get Asmore going, it doesn't really matter what else you're doing because Asmore is a powerful engine by itself. Um, and the so your Raghavans in the Izzet version, I just found to not be that impressive uh, outside of matchups where your opponent doesn't have a lot of interaction. Like, he's pretty good against Amulet. We played that match on Versus. Um, but the Demir versions are, are more consistent. You know, you're playing more street rates, so you can consistently hit your Asmors early. Um, I think Bone Shards is a really, really good underrated card right now, and I expect to see these lists playing more of them. Um, and, uh, you know, just a really good way of of enabling Asmore interacts with so many different, uh, you know, types of permanents that, uh, you know, Lightning Axe doesn't out of the red lists. I think going blue is better than being green, um, the greenless, you know, when their entire engine is going, they're the, I think they're the most powerful because yeah, makes sense. You're, you're generating a ton of card advantage and affecting the battlefield in, in a really impressive way. You know, Thought Monitor is just a two-two flyer; doesn't affect the battlefield a ton. Urza can affect the battlefield a ton, but costs quite a bit of mana. But when you're looping trails with, uh, you know, Troll Kings and doing stuff like that. I think it's the most impressive, but also the easiest to break up. Because like you said, if if they get rid of Troll King, if they you're you're more vulnerable to graveyard hate. Um and then then suddenly your trails don't work as well. Um though you do have Gilded Goose to help a little bit there. Uh, I think the Demir version is just the hardest to hate out. You know, Urza gives you a little bit of resilience to Stony Silence that people play. You're not really that dependent on the graveyard. It's it's just Emery really. Um 
Yeah, it's got the it's got the nice little sidestep in the sideboard too. You see that it's got some of the te- like it's got Tezzeret. I forgot exactly which one. The four mana one that you can do X equal to the you know. Yeah, it drains them as a minus yeah. five. The minus one puts makes an artifact a five five, and the plus one digs for artifacts. So yeah, I think I think that's a really good idea in your matchups where a you're probably going to need to slug through a little bit more removal and and stuff, and especially if they can you know stop one of the ways that you're winning, then this seems like a really good way to kind of like transition into a deck that fights that very well. Yeah, no, to me, this is, it's the most well-rounded and the most consistent, and the engines in the deck are powerful enough that I don't need to have the most synergistic or the most explosive version. I think you're, I'm more worried about, uh, you know, people having a lot of hate and being able to shut the engine down, because as, the engine with Asmore, the engine with Emery, the engine with Urza, like, all those cards are proven really powerful. All of them can take over a game by themselves. So there's diminishing returns on adding more explosiveness, more power, and there there's a lot less diminishing returns at that point to adding more resilience, and that's what the Demir version does. So that's why I think it's the best one around right now, and I expect that to be borne out over the you know the coming weeks. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. Uh, another pillar you were talking about, since we've been talking about this card quite a bit, is just Ragavan decks in general. And do you kind of lump these decks in with those? Um, so when I say Raghavan decks, the pillar that I'm, I'm talking about is fair Raghavan decks, because that's what, where I think Raghavan is, is far and away at its best. Uh, so interactive decks. And that, you know, when you look at and read Raghavan, the fact that it's a one mana two one, it can be a bit of a trap where you think like this is an aggressive card because you just have in your mind Savannah Lion. It's Savannah Lions with a lot of upside, but, but it's a Savannah Lions. That's not what this card fundamentally is. This is a gr- like a grindy card that generates cascading advantage every time it connects. The puzzle is how do we get it to connect over and over again? And it's put a bunch of removal and counter spells and stuff in your deck so that when you play it on turn one, you can keep clearing the way and you keep cascading that advantage. And then you use the interaction the to you know stop your opponent from catching back up. And and. There's a secondary benefit of doing things that way, and it's when you play Ragavan in turn one and your opponent just bolts it or fatal pushes it or whatever, you're not that upset. Like you're you're playing an attrition game, so just trading one for one is fine. It's not the best outcome, but it's certainly it's a, a much more palatable outcome for an attrition-oriented deck to have that happen than it is for an aggro deck or an engine-oriented deck like uh is it um Asmore to have to have that trade happen on turn one. So I've seen Raghavan in different unfair shells, different non-interactive shells, and I just don't think it works very well there. That's why, you know, I don't like the Izzet version of the Asmore deck. So there, there's sort of three different versions, uh, three different decks that are all somewhat similar that I think of when I'm thinking of this pillar, and it's the Jeskai Stoneblade deck that plays Raghavan. It's the Izzet Delver deck. Some of them don't play Delver, some do. And then there's the Jeskai version of that Delver deck that Aspiring Spike built that plays Luris as a companion. It's basically, is it Splashing Luris? Because- I think that deck was pretty cool. I thought it was pretty good. There's also like the um, the Jeskai Stoneblade-esque deck that was doing all right for a little while too. Yeah. Uh, really utilizing a lot of these new uh, new cards, including like, uh, was it Prismatic Ending? Is that the name of the card? I, I'm yes, sure I Prismatic Ending is, is a yeah. really good removal spell, as has essentially been pushing Path to people's sideboards. Like Path to Exile yeah, is think, a sideboard card now, and Prismatic Ending is a main deck card. Yeah, I think it's great seeing that, because A, that card is very, I think it's very good. Like, we talked about it on the show once. I was like, I think this is one of the better removal spells they printed. I joked about, like, this set might have some of the best removal spells printed in white in, like, a long time. I think that card is really, really good. And... I do think it's great to see some of the threats happening in the format because they can kind of dodge that card harder. You know, like Storming Entity comes to mind being a good card at dodging and it's like anything big, 
you know, um, you know, I'm surprised we haven't seen more Merc Tide Regent, and maybe there's just not a good enough deck for that card because it helps to dodge Fatal Push, Bolt, Prismatic Ending. You know, the stuff that you're seeing as the most like quintessential removal in the format now, since there's no, there's almost no just answer everything card. And uh, Unholy Heat does a good chance of like filling in those gaps, you know, because it can get it can deal six up to a big creature. So if your if your Merc Tide Regent's not big enough, or if your creature, you know, the casting cost is too much. Like, you know, I'm thinking of Titans, you know, where the Kroxa or Primeval, you know. Well, and Kroxa is CMC too, so Prismatic Ending is great there. Yeah, yeah. But you, you, the thing but is, Primeval... like, you have, yeah, you have to have three mana to do it, is, you know, like blah, 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 or whatever, or two mana to do it and stuff. But yeah, like you're, like I'm saying, it, uh, I meant Kroxa more for the size. You know, you can't sure. bolt it, you, you know, and stuff like that. So, you know, trying to get around the removal that's becoming popular in the format is, is becoming a big thing as well. And we're seeing these decks that are doing a good job at either their cards are cheap enough, like you said, that when they get one for one, they kind of shrug and don't care. They can they can play it off, or they can get around it in some way, shape, or form. So too. So yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think these decks are sweet and great. As far as the you know choosing between them goes, I think the Stoneblade deck is, is the best of the three. Um, Agreed. You know it when you're trying to just be an attrition oriented deck. Stoneforge Mystic is a great threat. Um, it's also a very counterspell heavy deck. Stoneforge Mystic is always played better with counterspells than it has with discard spells as your main form of disruption. If you like tempo decks, like this is this is your tempo. Yeah. Deck. yeah. Uh, so I think, and it, the the deck is just really well situated to both be able to like apply pressure early, put your opponent on the back foot, punish them if they stumble, but also be able to play a long game. If you if you don't generate an advantage early and you're at parity on turn five, this deck is perfectly fine. Stoneforge Mystic is still a great threat late. Rogovan can be a really good threat late. And then you have different planeswalkers. You have to Fairy Time Raveler and Jace the Mind Sculptor in small numbers at the top of your curve. So. Um, I think it's just the best at being, you know, a, essentially a mid-range deck, which is what I want to be. And I will say, I, I played the Jeskai Delver list, um, though the Spike list does not have Delver in it. And I, I ended up not being impressed by it because... I just don't think, I don't think Delver's good enough. Like, I just well, don't yeah, think well, he, enough. he wasn't even playing Delver. The threat base was Sprite Dragon, um, uh, Dragon's Rage Channeler, and, and Raghavan. And my issue with it was that it was sort of halfway between the Jeskai Stoneblade deck and Is It Prowess? And it was worse than either of them. So it was like trying to both be an aggro deck and be like a mid-rangey control deck. And it wasn't really that successful at being either because I wasn't able to play a bunch of spells proactively and get Delirium quickly for my channelers and pump my sprite dragons. But I also had these like awkward threats that I needed to play early instead of interacting with my opponent so I would fall behind. And it, and then your mana base was a little bit painful because of the white splash. It just ended up felt it felt like too muddled of a deck to me, even though all of its cards were powerful and on the surface kind of played well together. I just don't think they came well together to form a cohesive strategy. That said, I can see, yeah, that's how I feel watching it. Sorry, yeah, go ahead. I'm interested, and I haven't played with the is it straight is it versions. And you you talked about Merktide Region. That deck does play Merktide Region. Yeah, that's and it's the, the one, one deck I've, it, I've yeah. really seen it yeah. in. And it has more cantrips. It's it's more of a different kind of of aggro deck. So I I think that deck's version is going to end up being more cohesive. So if you'd like to be a little bit more aggressive, I would try out the is it uh you know Delver version. I would not play Delver, but um I I would play you know Merktide Regent, Ragavan, Dragon's Rage Channeler, and some Sprite Dragons, depending about how many threats you want. Call it a day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and go from there. So. Uh, that deck, I think, you know, is interesting. I just don't know enough about it. But I've been really impressed by the Jeskai Stoneblade deck, uh, and you know that that would get my 
you know, full-throated recommendation. I think it's going to be really weird to say this, but decks like that in Modern, I've always felt like they're missing one thing, and the thing in my mind that I think they're missing, and I'm worried about them ever printing something like this because it might make it too good, but I feel like it's missing a Titan or a really good Planeswalker for it that's made, like, not specifically for that deck, but one that just fits that deck perfectly. If you get what I'm trying to say here. Do you understand what I, like the, the point yeah. I'm trying to make there? It's, like, it it's doesn't tough have... to find a Planeswalker that would fit, though. Like, those right. decks want to be so aggressive. Yeah, but it would have to be very aggressively costed, and then like I don't think they're ever going to make that mistake again. But <laughs> yeah. a set that would have this would be like Modern Horizons. You know, like you can't probably can't put a, a, something like this into standard or be like a supplemental set, and it's just missing that like, you know, it doesn't have Ren and Six, it doesn't have Primeval Titan, it doesn't have Cro- it doesn't have this, like this really cheap, it doesn't have Uro, you know, it doesn't have like a very cheap card that is going to that be very you very good. High. Yeah, that's it just doesn't have that. And, like, maybe Regent is, like, the card that's going to do a good enough impression of it to make the deck, like, competitive. And I think that's where you're going to have to find it with that card. And like I mentioned earlier, I actually do like where Regent stacks up in this format because it's big enough to tussle with any other creature, and it's very, very hard to kill when it's on the battlefield. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that's... um, it, It's... I'm optimistic about that card, which makes me more optimistic about the deck. Uh, so it doesn't take much to get me to play Thought Scour either, Ross. I mean, like yeah. you know this. <laughs> I, I do not need much yeah. of an excuse to put that card into my deck. I, I will say there, there's one other you know recent entry into this pillar, and it's we talked about it before we started the show. Well, hold on, it, hold on, hold yeah. on. We we didn't do, we didn't do the fourth one yet. I don't want to skip it for everybody no, at home. Uh, yeah, the fourth Ragavan deck, right? No, no, no. We've done Swift Spear decks, Asmore decks, Ragavan yeah, decks, but there, and we there's another Ragavan deck to talk about before we get to oh. the last pillar. Okay, I was going to use this as like our tier two decks, even though I do think this is quite possibly the best deck in modern right now. But yeah, so you're, talking about, just... you're talking about Spike's deck. Is that what you were going to? I, I, that's yeah, it's the last Ragavan deck. It, okay, and... let's go ahead and talk about this because uh, I have a tweet pulled up from him from nine minutes ago because I was watching a stream from this. Yeah, he over the last few days is forty four and six with this deck. He went fifteen and zero on stream with it. He completed the other five zero. Oh my god! Yeah. So for anyone at home that doesn't know the deck we're talking that's about, an I'm going to percent win rate. Uh, it's it's a Luris deck, but it's a red black kind of like it, this is a mid range deck. Like this is a mid range deck, but it's just yeah. it's just red black stuff. Now I'm gonna kind of like read off the cards to people at home so they it's know a what we're talking deck. about. I, I would yeah, call this, it Jund. It just doesn't play. This green. is Jund. Okay, yeah. so um, it has red black lands. What you would expect, you know, Blackleaf Cliffs, Bloodstained Myers, Blood Crypts. It ha- it does have a uh, a, a Shikra and a, or how do you pronounce it? Is it Sh- Shika and Shizo? Yeah, I knew Shizo. He added those today and was was. trying them out. I'm not sure how he feels about them. Yeah, I'm not sure. But But there's a lot of legends in this deck, so... So so here's the deck. I'm going to read it home because this is, is might not be known to everyone. I want to know... I want to make sure they know what we're talking about. So the main deck is four Mistress Bobble, um, four Inquisition, three Thoughtseize, four Darcy, that's Dragon Race Chandler, four Bolt, four Ragavan, three Unholy Heat, two Turok from MH2, Turok, uh, Dead Cantor, uh, four Voidwalker, a card that, you know... You and I have talked about as being like, when it's good in a deck, it's going to be very, very good. Uh, three Kroxa and three Kolagons Command. And that's the main deck. I mean, it's got like some cool stuff in the sideboard. Like we said, it's got a Luris. But I think this deck is well-positioned, very good, and can play pretty much any role in any matchup is why I'm a big fan of this. So I, I, I wrote about Raghavan, I think, last week. Um, and, I, you know... I basically wrote about why it's a fair it's a fair card, right? And it should be put into fair decks. And, th- and it took a week to sort of emerge in the metagame because it took a week for the fair decks that that it should be in to sort of get tuned. And, and 
whereas the sort of engine-based decks like Asmore and and what we'll talk about later emerged uh, earlier. And I broke the, the article down into two sort of broad categories, and it's basically what kind of disruption do I pair with my Raghavan? Do I pair blue counter spells or black discard spells? And mid-range decks in modern have, have had that dichotomy for years. There, there was always been blue mid-range decks and black mid-range decks, and for the longest time, black mid-range decks are better, and more recently, the blue cards have sort of taken over. I think Archmage's Charm, Force of Negation have been really, really strong additions from MH1, and the and the, the emergence of companions as well has made discard spells worse because there's always this thing that you just can't interact with uh, sit, sitting in the in the companion zone. Uh, but and I concluded the article saying that like I think Raghavan plays better with blue cards. Um, you know, I think you want to be out tempoing your opponent, and, and blue cards are better at generating tempo because when you're playing discard spells, you're not trading for anything your opponent committed mana to. So you're actually tempo negative, but just slightly. Um, so it was no surprise to me that like, we saw some some black based Raghavan decks or black disruption based Raghavan decks early on, a couple like a week or two ago. And this past weekend, we really only saw the blue ones. And so I was kind of surprised to see you know Spike doing so well with with Arakdos list. But this list does look good. I think Coligan's command is really well positioned. Turok has has looked really good. Yeah. I think that's just a solid card. Like it's not a world beater, but it just, you know, it gives you that much more disruption that you want and it's, you know, a good threat in its own right. Um and the pro white comes up more like a, a decent amount yeah. of time as well. And like these are this is a one of the issues with it with I'll say that there's been two issues with the sort of Jund style decks recently. And it um and that have really hurt them. One is that, like they haven't really been able to come up with uh, better top decks than their opponent because they're often limited by what they can play because they have to be Luris decks because Luris is just that good. Um, but this deck has Croxa. It enables Croxa better because of Channeler. Uh, generates better top decks with that additional card selection. And now it has, has Turok, which is a four-drop masquerading as a two-drop that can be quite good. Um... So it's it, this deck has improved, you, you know, the top decks, and then the other issues. Jund was always at its best when it could be more aggressive. I think people didn't really understand that, and it's one of the reasons Bloodbird Elf historically was so good in the deck because it let you like generate that card advantage that you wanted, really get your opponent down to nothing, but then also turn the corner really quickly. And so Bloodbird Elf just becoming a mediocre card relative to the power level of the format hurt Jund in its ability to like be aggressive. And this version of the deck is pretty aggressive with Raghavan and Dragon's Ridge Channeler and Croxa and Dothy Voidwalker, an, an unblockable creature, essentially. Um, so I, I'm excited by the le- the increased level of aggression in this deck because when you're playing discard spells, you know, w- when you're playing counter spells, you have the top of your opponent's deck covered. Let's start there. Like you have the counter spell in your hand. It doesn't matter what they draw. Like you'll be able to answer it. So you're not that worried about the top of their deck until you completely run out of everything. When you're playing discard spells, you're you're always worried about the top of their deck. And the best way to play around the top of your opponent's deck is to kill them quickly. So aggression has always been more important, and, and the closing speed has been more important in discard-based mid-range decks than it is in counterspell-based mid-range decks. Uh, so the I'm I'm excited by those aspects of it. I'm exci- I'm sure that he's going to be playing it in the challenges this weekend, and, mm-hmm. and we'll yeah, see how well he does. Yeah. 
but that to me seems like a you know um, a deck that could enter into this pillar and become really popular because it, it's the best built of the like Jund style discard based disruption style Rogovan decks that I've seen. One of the big things that excites me about this when I look at it is. I love the fact that all of the cards that aren't trying to kill your opponent, so your removal and um, kind of like supplemental cards, all can serve multiple roles. And like, I think a card that's missing from this that I didn't notice at first, and then like the more we look at the deck, is there are no fatal push in this 75, which is kind of eye opening in a modern deck to not have fatal push in a deck that can cast it. And the more I think about it, is, is like Unholy Heat does a really good fatal, fatal push impression against pretty much the entire format. There's almost no cards that dodge it besides like a very big um, death shadow. Yeah, you know, there's there's like you know there's there's exceptions to every rule, right? But I think the fact that you get to kind of take out some of the cards that can be misses, like you know, you said you worry about your top decks as a as a discard deck, like the fact that you're never gonna draw a fatal push game one against a deck that doesn't have creatures, or doesn't have targets. Uh, if you do draw your fatal push, you're on holy heat. It's hard for your opponent not to have creatures or planeswalkers. Like there's, there's only a few decks in all of modern where Unholy Heat is like dead, and that's not many of them, right? So when you can do that, the fact that you still have some, you know, bad top decks with like Thoughtseize and Inquisition later in the game, and then you have Dragon Rage Channeler kind of helping that as well. I feel like, and every time I'm watching him, I feel like his games are way more cohesive as it goes on, and you finish a lot quicker. Kind of like you were talking about. The problem with Jund is it, it couldn't kill you fast enough, so you lose the top deck and stuff like that. Also, you're not playing Termogoyf. Like, your Termogoyfs are one mana versus two, and when they get killed, they get killed on parity. You're never, like, playing a Termogoyf. They're like, kill it for one mana, do something else, and you're like, well, now I'm falling behind kind of thing. And, you know, it has this robust in-game. Like, you talked about you've got Croaks in the yard, uh, you know, that you can, you can get value from, and you've got Luris, you know, which this is a very good Luris deck as well. And... Just when I think about this, when I think about this deck, and I think about the removals, I'm like Lightning Bolt is just like the best red card, period, right? And Holy Heat answers so many things, and then you've also got Colagon's Command, which is just like never dead. You know, you can kill a creature with it, you can get a creature back, you can you can. There's just so many artifacts effect. around, like Colagon's right. There's so many is good. And like the thing is, it's like when I think about this deck, and I think about like a hole in this deck, is it'd be like, yeah, you know, you draw your kind of like one creature disruptive thing. You know, you're like you've got a Dragon Rage Chandler, you're disrupting them a little bit with like a removal spell and some hand disruption, but like. You can kind of peter out. You don't interact with um, Urza Saga, and if they make a couple constructs, it can be bigger than you. But now you've got Colagon's Command and Unholy Heat in your deck. And like, I was trying to think of a way to like really beat this deck from decks that are popular, and I can't find one that where I'm like, this is a glaring hole or weakness in this deck. Yeah, and we, I, I I just love it overall. When I think about attacking a deck like this, I want to play a deck that is very good at attrition, but is also playing to the battlefield. So I'm thinking ephemerate decks that are Which you know have been proven yeah they don't seem like they've been that good in the last week or two sorry yeah the, those decks um i think they struggle with some of the more linear strategies like the asmore decks and um and you know different combo decks and one of the cards that i think really helps the even this Rakdos list in a matchup like that is turok like those decks usually like you're trying to run your opponent out of cards in hand when you're a thoughtsies inquisition deck and it's really difficult to do against ephemerate decks they just draw so many extra cards like, Turok is a beating. It's difficult for them to answer because they're all, they're always base white, and so it's a it's a huge body, and it you know generates really significant card advantage. So that kind of you know the impact that that card can have on an a, a very attrition oriented game 
is something that these decks have been lacking. Like that's sort of what like Liliana of the Veil used to do in Jun decks, where like, you know, if you were a deck that really, you know, you would struggle to empty their hand with Thoughtseize and Inquisition, like Liliana could do the job. You just had to protect it and plus a bunch of times, edict once or twice to deal with a creature on the battlefield, and you were good. They haven't. They've really been missing that because uh, you know Luris generates card advantage, but it doesn't do anything to limit your opponent's resources. Luris is a card that expands the amount of resources in a game, and the Inquisition Thoughtseize decks always want to play low resource games, and so that the in in that respect, Luris actually competes against them. They don't necessarily work that well together because they don't play to the same end game. But Luris is so powerful that you just have to play it. It's just so much better than Liliana. Like you, you, you can't. Uh, you have to ignore the the dissynergy. Turok is is sort of a key card to me. I think it's a card that I haven't seen a lot of in these decks. I've seen more like Renin Six, Tarmogoyf, um, you know, Jund kind of decks. I've seen uh, Rakdos decks that are using the graveyard a little bit more. And I don't like when I'm playing Thoughtseize in Inquisition. I don't want to be synergy driven with the rest of my deck because you're trying to break apart your opponent's synergies, and it's difficult, to, really difficult to do that while assembling your own. Um, but the Turok, I think, is, is, the, is the secret to unlocking everything. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to see how this deck does this weekend. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't think he's going to be the only person playing it. Not yeah, with I mean, putting up results like this, if you're up on Twitter and stuff like that. Like, people, people, this is a known commodity. You know, I mean, like people are he, starting he's, to... Uh, he's 29-1 and one in his last six leaks. That's yeah. absurd. <laughs> it is actually absurd. And let's go ahead and talk about that fourth pillar that you're going to talk about. And uh, this one shouldn't surprise anyone because this was one of the better decks before MH2, and it actually got a really good card in MH2, and that's just Amulet. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the best homes for Urza Saga. I think, that, like, you know, Urza Saga was the talk of everything that first week, and it was in, like, 17 different decks, and it's kind of narrowed. You basically see Urza Saga in Amulet and in Asmore decks. Those are just have been the two best homes, um, and in, in Amulet, it's literally just like finding your amulets consistently. They usually play one expedition map in the main because that can be really helpful. Where you like tutor that up and find your Cavern of Souls against counter spell deck, or find your Blast Zone. Uh, you know, maybe find a Bounce Land if you haven't drawn one yet. Um, you know, something like that. So uh, it really it's it's a card that just makes the amulet deck that much more consistent. Do you remember when that when once of once upon a time was legal? An amulet yeah, was right. everywhere because it was just yeah. you were just turn three and you're tightened that much more often when you had this free cantrip. Um, you know, that's sort of what Urza Saga is doing to the deck now. Like so many games where you go like turn one saga, play an amulet, turn two, like explore, turn three, get a second amulet, tighten you, and, and you're dead. Um, or even if that's just your first amulet, like you know, uh, there's just so many things that, that it can do, so many explosive draws that it enables, and then even in games where your opponent has, like, you know, Ashiok or some, you know, stops all of your Primeval Titans. Like, you can win games by just making two constructs and, you know, finding Expedition Map and mapping for a second Urza Saga and making two more constructs. And, you know, that you're both more explosive with your main game plan and somehow less reliant on it from the addition of a single card, which is a really uh, rare duality to achieve. Um, so it's very clear that Amulet, like, Normally, this this pillar would be big mana decks, right? But mm -hmm. Tron fucking sucks. Etron sucks. Yeah. If you're a big uh, mana think, player, just play Amulet. I think I think there is something that could happen in this formula where Etron's playable again. Where like I, I you know I do think it's not in the worst position because like 
you know, it still has draws where, like, it keeps up pretty well against these aggro decks. Chalice on one can be very, very good against their decks. Plus, like, you know, there's there's a lot of draws where you, like, you Chalice on one on the play on turn two, and then you, like, Thought Not Seer them or something on turn three, and then you, like, Smasher them. Like, that's still going to beat a lot of decks and stuff like that. And, you know, we, we still haven't seen the control decks really, you know, come around. If, if control deck figures it out, you know, and like, Etron's Etron can... good. Yeah, exactly. Then yeah, Etron, I'll, like, I'll, I'll give you that. Maybe uh, I'll put Etron in tier two. But yeah, it's, of course. Not, yeah, it's yeah. not in the tier one of, of pillars. I do agree that Chalice is really good right now, but mm-hmm. the issue is that everyone is extra prepared to deal with it, incidentally, because there's yep. so many artifacts around. There's Shattering Sprees in people's sideboards, yeah. and Replicate gets around Chalice, Prismatic Ending in people's mains. If they just cast it for X equals two, it's or less. Um, yeah, you can always get around it. Or, there's no way you can ever Chalice a yeah, Prismatic Ending. You yeah. know, main deck Coligans commands in decks... Uh, there, there's so many ways that people are getting that are answering it. So it, it's better when it's in play, but it's in play less often. Yeah. So kind of a hundred percent agree. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I mean, I guess we can start talking about the tier two decks and like, I got to agree with you. I, well, I don't think Tron. I, I do want to make one note on amulet because there are a couple different ways people are building it. There are lists with Karn, the great creator. There are lists with, uh, abundant growth and there are lists with Sakura tribe scout. And I will say, I think it's very obvious that abundant growth or uh, not abundant, abundant harvest that Abundant Harvest is the way to go in those flex spots. It's just the card that is going to make you the most consistent. Uh, you know, Karn the Great Creator is going to make you a little bit more resilient because you have another good plan, but you're not really that good of a Karn deck. Um, and um, Sakura Tribe Scout is going to make you more explosive, but there's just so much cheap removal, especially Lava Dart out of the Prowess decks, that it you know it's just not consistent enough and... and so I just want to be consistently getting to my Primeval Titans and casting them because that's what the deck is about. So just play Abundant Harvest in your flex spots in your amulet deck. And like we don't talk too much about like the the tier two decks or whatever, like you know, because it just it pretty much encompasses everything else. I mean, like you know, like we talk about oh this is tier three or whatever, but like that's I think that yeah, argument I, is like I don't want to talk ridiculous. about all of them, but like of the non-pillar yeah, yeah, decks, sure. which ones do you do you really like? And I have so two one, that come to my head. One of the ones that I really like personally, and I'm not sure how good it is, but it looks good the couple times I've played with it, but I've heard other people say that it is the uh, Villamacus deck, the the taking turns. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. Guy Indomitable Creativity. Yeah, that one, or I've even seen or, some that have, color. or it's four colors because they play Ren and Six. Yeah, and Ren's a really important aspect of the deck. And yeah. I think Ren and Six is actually just a really good card and positioned really well in the format right now, because I think it's really good at obviously picking off some of these one drops, get, gaining value in some of the matches where you need it, and... Ren 6 Time Warp is a legitimate thing. Like, that is a yes. legitimate way to yeah, win a match. The fact that you don't have to creativity, where you can, like, yeah. be a control deck that just protects yeah. Ren 6 and yeah. eventually ultimates and has a Time Warp and wins the game. It's like a deck that has this robust endgame, right? That can that can happen as soon as turn four, where you get to, you know, you, you creativity uh, Villamacus into play. But, like, you get to play Lightning Bolt, Prismatic Ending, uh, Remand. Some of them play Prismari Command. I think the, maybe most of them they, play they Prismari Command. They all do, Command. because you can generate yeah. an artifact with it. So it's the you other did, way yeah, to treasure, get a target yeah. for creativity. And, like, all these cards are just really good in the format right now. and can generate a lot of value. I think Remand is, like, actively very, very good in that deck. Like, this is one of the better Remand decks I've seen in a long time. I like Remand a lot in the decks that are trying to kill you. Yeah. You know, like... R- Remand also oddly good against Ragavan. Where they like take your spell and cast it, and you're like, ah, give me that back. Yeah, yeah, that's actually really cool. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that happen yet, but that would that would be a really really sweet way to do it. Um, I have seen Ragavan steal a Karn the Great Creator from their opponent, 
against uh it was it was a big mana deck i can't remember if it was tron or etron but it shut off one of their cards because like you know like they had an artifact in play and then they went and got like the the person with the rock medic had like a void mirror in their sideboard so they had to go get their void mirror and play it and it was it was game one so they were just like locked <laughs> or whatever so it was like pretty cool but that's like one of the decks that's like really kind of piqued my interest it's one that i would play like i don't know if i would play it at like an scg tour ter- like thing but if i had like a local event or like an fnm you know something that's like i'm not playing for a lot i just want to have some fun that, that's a, and I'm not just like 100% trying to win every game that I could possibly, that deck looks super cool. I like it. I like those, those style of decks and it looks fun to me. What are the ones you're interested in? Yeah. Spoiler alert about the, the Velomachus deck. I played it on versus this week mm-hmm. and obliterated Amulet. Like and that, it that's, that's a close. reason. And like, that's a reason to play it, right? Like we talk about yeah. this, like th- that's one of the reasons decks are tier two is like, they might not be great against the perceived tier one decks like overall, but it has one or two matchups. Like, you know, I, I actually watched you play Corey and it was not close. Yeah. Like he, I, I would have, I'd have been like, really, this is, this is where we're at. You know, I, I also mulled to five twice. So yeah. It was, it, it, it was still not close. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think that's a good choice. I have two that come to my head. The, the first one is the Yawgmoth deck that has really, you, know, okay. you see it a lot. I think uh, it, I'm glad that you brought this up because I kind of forgot about it for a second. And I'm going to say a few things here. I think that deck is very good. I think it's secretly one of the better decks in the format just because a, you don't get a lot of practice against it. And like, that was a secret that people also didn't get, uh, about like why Tom Ross was so good. This is nothing against Tom Ross. I think he's an exceptional, he's miles better than I've ever been. Right. And I can, I can say that because I grew up playing against him. You know what I mean? In in my magic career, the guy cost me multiple pro tour appearances and I, in vice versa, you know, like I can't tell you how many times in in a PTQ I had to play him in the elimination rounds, you know, but, but I've always known he's better than me, but one of the biggest reasons that he has gotten an edge in his magic career is a lot of times he's playing a deck that A, is very good against the popular stuff's going on, but B, he's playing a deck that people are just like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the first time they, like, remember the first time you saw Heroic and Infect and you saw people just play horribly against it? We didn't even really know yet. Yeah. Like we had like figured out how to fight in combat. Things. You're like, yeah, I don't want to take oh, infect damage. Let me try to kill your thing. And they're just like, yeah, pump it. Take even more. <laughs> yeah, you idiot. You know, like, it's something like that. And like, I feel like Yogmoth has that kind of like, so even though it's been around for over a year now, you know, it's been around for a while. You know, we even saw it on the, we saw it, it's been around long enough to be seen on the SCG tour and stuff like that. So I think this deck is really cool. I think it's really, um, really well positioned, believe it or not. I do think it's actually pretty good against a lot of the top decks. And because it's, it's it's a resilient creature deck too, so it, yeah, it, it plays it's well. Good, it's a good deck at grinding. Like all yeah. the undying creatures are a good quasi like, two for one. It laughs at lightning bolt. Like that deck yeah. just laughs at lightning bolt. But and you can you can sort of go off with the Ogmoth small and just draw some cards with it. And then here's the other secret thing about like when you can tell if a deck is probably more legit and like it may not be getting enough press. Uh, secretly, the prices on like all the cards in the deck have been skyrocketing. <laughs> Like, do you know how much a uh, Jaros Messenger is right now? Too much. They're like 40. And it's like, if you can find them. Because, like, just no one has them or whatever. So, and whenever something like that happens, like, you know the deck's getting popular. It's doing pretty well. I would not be surprised to see, like, a quote-unquote breakout from it sometime soon. Or maybe it's just a flash in the pan. We'll have to see. But, like, I do think that's a really good choice by you. Yeah. And then the, uh, uh, and I just want to note on that deck, like the addition of that one grist that you can tutor for yeah. gives you like a little bit of interaction that the deck really needed. Uh, you know, killing planeswalkers and creatures along with being a good threat. It's so a nice toolbox to have. Yeah, a, sure. a subtle addition because it's only a one of, but a really important one because it gives the deck something that it was missing. It fills a hole. Uh, so that's a cool one if like you know wacky engine decks are, are your thing and you want to put some some reps into it. 
the other deck I also think is underrated, and I wrote about it this week, is is the Colossus Hammer deck. Uh, I, I can say, I can call it Hammer Time here. We don't use that deck name on SCG, so when I'm like, you know, in my article, it's always like, Mono White Hammer. Yeah, I, I hate that you have to do that. I hate, for, I, I feel for you. Uh, I, again, I think another deck that kind of in the vein of, uh, uh, I literally just blanked. Give me a second. The, the Black Green deck we were just talking about. The um, the deck we just talked about. What's the name of it? Yogmoth. Yogmoth. Oh my god. I'm sorry. That's embarrassing. But it's in the same vein as Yogmoth, like a deck that should be getting more press and respect than it does. And like the times you play against it, you're like, oh my god, I've never really actually, I know this is a deck, but I've never actually played against it. Yeah. I mean, the increased artifact removal that's around is, is annoying. I'll, I'll give you that. But the thing I've noticed, you know, playing with it and, and seeing it played uh, is that the deck is one, you know, more resilient than you think, especially like especially with Urza's Saga. I think it's a great home for Saga because this is a deck that like now has a legitimate aggro plan. Metal Assist um, helps a lot there, too. Yeah. Um, well, you can't play that because you're a Lyris deck. Oh, I've seen some uh, that have metal system. Maybe, maybe yeah. they're maybe yeah. they're listed to do it. I, my, the list I advocate for doesn't. Uh, I I would mm-hmm. that would be a really good addition. I would like to play something like you that. You just play Luris in the deck, but anyway, nah, go ahead. you need the Luris companion. It's too good. Yeah, it's uh, probably, you're probably right. Yeah, it's just the best card in modern. So um, the uh, so like you have you know the capability of having these big creatures now. You're finding your hammers more consistently. It's a it's an uncounterable way to slip a hammer in. Uh, which is really nice. So really, really, you know, you know, one of the strongest cards in Modern Horizons is it's a great home for it. Gives the deck added resilience, which it really needed. I think a lot of people just like aren't prepared to like die on turn three right now because the format is so uh, is so fair, uh, which is one thing I like about it. But the other thing is, it, like, it, it, when you're playing this deck, you've got to be patient because it's all about like it's setting up the spot. And a lot of the time, your opponent knows that like they can die in turn three, so they're holding up removal very early. And you can take advantage of that by not going for that, going for it immediately, and just doing more setup, doing more setup, and forcing your opponent to just hold up their removal spell turn after turn after turn, wasting that mana. Um, you know, so the I think this is a deck that like it gets a lot better when it's played perfectly versus when it's or when it's played at like ninety five percent versus when it's played at ninety percent. I don't think it's that forgiving of a deck, but if you are a master with it, I think the deck is very, very good and uh, like the most underrated home for Urza's Saga. And I think it's certainly the um, I think it's the best creature combo deck. I would put it a little bit ahead of Yogmoth because it's a little bit faster. Um, so that like your your amulet matchup and the, those kind of matchups are just sort of uh, are so easy, uh, and and I value that. So, but those two decks. Uh, no surprise, two creature combo decks are, are things that I like. You know that that's that's what I gravitate towards. But if you're if you're not really into these, uh, you know, pillar decks, uh, the the tier one decks, I think those two, and then and the one you said are, are the four color Velomachus deck are, are three that I would look into. And if we didn't mention your deck, it's not that we think it sucks or anything like that. It's just these. No, are that's exactly that are... what that means. It's hundred <laughs> percent. Your your deck sucks. I was yeah. say, do you remember that article series? I love that article. Yeah. Series, why your deck sucks? <laughs> and, uh, shout out shout out to Mark Nastico, just way ahead of his time and very underappreciated. But anyway, um, yeah, there's there's a lot and like honestly, I, I'm kind of liking where modern is right now. Like I like the decks that are playable. Um, that's a big thing too. It's like you can see a healthy format. And still not be a fan of it because it's not your thing, right? Like, it's not your bag. But, like, this is more my bag. This is more my thing. There's a lot of decks to choose from. It, there's, it's still in flux 
I think a decent a bit. I mean, like, let's check back in in a month and it might be figured out or whatever. But, like, it seems like Modern Horizons 2 has done what it needed to do. It just breeds complete new life into the format. Because it's like we said, we want to see updates for existing decks. We want to see new decks happen. And it's it's done that. So, overall, I think a really good job for yeah, Modern Horizons 2. Yeah, you know, I, I thought Modern had stagnated a bit this year. There was that period of time where, there, where it was just Heliod combo everywhere. And then a period of time where it was Prowess everywhere. And there wasn't a ton of innovation being being done in this, so I agree. This really has breathed new life into the format. I like the balance of where we are. You know, you, you can look at these four pillars that we said. Amulet's a big mana deck. Swift Spear is your aggro deck, like the best aggro decks. Asmore, I would say, is a mid-range deck, but it's an engine-based mid-range deck. It's like combo-y, yeah. Yeah, like... and then and then the Raghavan is more of just the disruptive disruption-based mid-range deck, like... I'm a mid-range deck, but I'm I'm really going to try to you know stop what you're doing. So Asmore is Asmore decks are trying to play very resource-rich games, and Raghavan decks are trying to play resource-light games. Uh, but they're both trying to beat you in the mid-game. And then th- there's that you know wide array of, of tier two archetypes that we highlighted. Uh, you know several of the, the one thing that's really missing here is, is a good control deck. You know I, I've heard some rumblings about miracles with Brainstone from from Aspiring Spike and and I've seen it from some other people. We've seen it in some you know prelim results and challenge results and things like that, but not, haven't really seen a consistently successful control deck. Uh, and that's one of the things that Modern actually had a lot of over the last few years. There was Just Guy Control, Azorius Control, Miracles at different co- times. Uh, but one of the, one of the things that happens when a formats get that ruthlessly efficient is control decks usually struggle. Uh, yeah, they're not getting any new pieces that are like really helping it out, and the creatures are just getting better for cheaper. Yeah, so if you're a control player, um, sorry, I'm, I've got some bad news, but Sh- Shaheen, I'm sorry, man, I'm sorry. Uh, honestly, like this this format right now feels a lot to me like Legacy ten years ago. Oh yeah, I can I can kind of like, dig that. Yeah, it's just it's like the the it just, that's just what it kind of what it feels like to me. Like I know there's no days in Force of Will and no Brainstorm and no Wasteland, um, but you know the cards surrounding Legacy in 2011, surrounding th- those four, were not nearly as good as they are now. <laughs> you know, there's a reason I got to bet like top eight opens playing Knight of the Reliquary in my deck. <laughs> uh, so that that's kind of what Modern feels like to me right now, and I, I'm not complaining. I think that's sweet. I loved those days of Legacy. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, you even have your creature combo decks like we're talking about with like elves and stuff like that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, big, big fan of what's going on overall in in. So, so like, I, I'm loving what's going on in Modern now. I, I just have a question. You have to play a tournament tomorrow. What are you sleeving up? Card availability is not a thing. Um, I am going to trying go- to win. Yeah, I'm either going Jeskai Stoneblade or Amulet. Mm hmm. Um, you know, I've, I've played a lot of Amulet, but I, I'd be perfectly fine playing the Jeskai deck. Uh, and I think that that's just so powerful. If I had a little, if I had, you know, time to test, I would put some work into the Izzet deck to see if I like, because that plays more to my style. I like to play mm-hmm. from ahead. I like to be a little more aggressive. Um, yeah. so I, that's one that I would also look into. Uh, but those three, and I also like the Hammer Time deck quite a bit, but I would say leader in the clubhouse would be Jeskai Stoneblade. I'd play the spike deck. I just play the red black deck. I want to. I want to Turok some people. I want to. I want to Darcy some people. Just, it's it's my kind of it's my kind of stuff. I've been Play, dying playing Thoughtseize decks process. is just a recipe for me to tilt. I like see my opponent's oh, hand, yeah. and then I they just top deck me, and I'm like, oh, you yeah. motherfucker. Oh yeah, it's it's easily. I tilt really hard on that too. I'm I'm probably a little better at hiding it than you, just because I'm the, the poker player in me does like the poker face, yeah. but it still comes out every now and then because I don't I don't control myself as much in in. Uh, in magic as i do in poker and poker it's like an actively thinking about it you know yeah. like 
like don't give away anything you know like don't smile like don't laugh don't don't frown you know kind of stuff so um before we get out of here we have a lot of actual actual cool stuff to do on the side here and we need to catch up on a few things but um we had some mailbag questions ross and i think it's important that you get involved on the first one because this one might be a little bit of a conversation and so people at home i mean maybe you actually want to hear about this i I think so this is a an interesting thing that you might not have known about that i was involved in and uh, i'm not happy that i was involved in it or whatever but this is from uh lee mcleod and he says um please tell the card mageddon story i barely know anything about it i was on a hiatus with magic back then okay so uh, of the two of us it's tannin that is much more um uh, knowledgeable on, on this i i sort of know the the broad strokes of what happened. And it was some company decided to hold this huge tournament in Las Vegas for a huge prize prize pool. Like it was like a guaranteed prize pool. Yeah. Of like a hundred K or something. It was, Uh, it was, I don't think it was a hundred K. It was was more than, than an open for for sure. Significantly. It was a big number. Yeah. And the, nobody really knew what this company was. They scheduled it on the same weekend as a North American Grand Prix, I believe. So, there, there's a thing. I'm, I'm gonna interject every now and then. Uh, they were the first to schedule since they were smaller and stuff. They did, they did this before. Well, I don't know if they were literally the first to schedule. They did it before any of the other stuff was announced. Yeah, like they had already had this weekend set. So and and they did not do a very good job of advertising it. Correct. And so the turnout ended up being very small. They took a huge bath. Horrific. Yeah. And my understanding is that very few, if any, people got paid. That that is true. I was one of the people who got paid, but like any of these things, I in, unless you're a massively established big time company, like you know, like obviously I would do this with SCG or like Channel Firebar or something. I I asked to get paid up front because, and I'll tell you why because I didn't play because you're smart. You know, going, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. I meant like uh, for people at home, I did casting for this. Yeah. So if you know, um, so the the story of this it's kind of crazy. So were you living way, in Vegas at the time? I was living in Vegas at the time. Yeah, yeah. so very easy for you so, to do casting. Yeah, so it's actually a crazy story about how this how this happened. I'm at a Grand Prix in LA with Jonathan Job and some other people, right? And I'm hungry, and it, and usually that's very bad to be hungry at a Grand Prix because the food options are horrible. Yeah. Luckily, there's food trucks outside. I'm talking with Marshall Sutcliffe. Um, you know, he's like in between rounds, and I'm like, hey, let's get some food. He's like, all right. So we go get in line, and this random person in line behind us. He's like, hey, Marshall, like, it's nice to meet you, like, shakes his hand, like, blah, blah, blah. Doesn't know I exist, which is fine. Uh, you know, at the time, I think I was even more of a no-name than I am now. You know what I mean? Like, I just, you know, wasn't super established, you know, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so, um, also, uh, anyway, so, you know, Marshall's sitting there, he's talking to him. And he's like, hey, I have a job opportunity for you. And Marshall kind of, like, looks at him, he's like, you know, what's going on? He's like, we have this tournament coming up. Um, we need casters for it. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. He starts talking about what would be Cardmageddon. Right. And so um, Marshall's like, well, like, you know, I can't commit to like that weekend. He might have said he had something or like he's under contract through, you know, Watsy. And he's like, I can't, you know, really do anything else like that, blah, blah, blah. And I just look at the guy. I'm like, hey, like I, I do casting. And he's like, really? And I was like, yeah, like I do. I do. I do casting myself. And I know people who would be perfect for this otherwise. Because, you know, a few of my friends were also doing casting and stuff at the time. And I was like, I could get you in because he was talking about how like they needed a whole bunch of like, I, I guess you would call this like front end people or whatever, you know, the people that help like be in the actual term thing. I was like, I can get you, you know, some people or whatever involved. So, you know, the guy and I, we exchanged, um, ex- exchanged like numbers, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, we talked from there and ended up, you know, I got hired along with like Ruben Bressler, 
um, and some other people to, to do to do this this show. And you know, we did you know a bunch of stuff for it, got ready for it. The format and the way that they did everything was really innovative, but like I don't mean this in a positive way. It was very different. Uh, you like like day one, you just play, played in pods, and you could pick which format you wanted to play. And then like if I remember right, day two was just like I think it was standard. It was like a standard event with like a top eight, right, and a pay. And to try to make sure that like the 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 word of this got out big and and more and stuff, they they hired a bunch of pros to like come and play at the event, especially the local ones. Like Dave Williams was there, Eric Fork was there, uh, Kibler was there. You know, and this is when Kibler was still pretty involved. Magic. He was still writing for SEG at the time. Hearthstone was a was a thing that was happening because I was starting to get involved in Hearthstone as well at the time. And a lot of other big names and stuff were there. Those are just a, to name a few. You know, there's uh, I think Shahar Shinhar was there. You know, they paid these people to come and play. Like, obviously, didn't make them pay for their event or whatever. Blah blah blah. Tournament happens. Turnout is awful. Like, like god awful. Like they rented out part of the Cashman Center or whatever, which is where like the some of the Grand Prix were going on during. I've been to uh, the Cashman the, Center. Yeah, the 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 horizon. You know, the the um, what, were, what were those sets called? The uh, Modern Masters. Yeah, the modern. I'm saying modern horizons. The modern master sets. So you're talking about like, you know, uh, you know, they didn't get the whole building like we did when we had like four or five thousand people to Grand Prix, but like, it made it look even smaller because of just how few people were there, right? And also, like you talked about, there was a Grand Prix that we get. I think also an open or an invitational was going on at the same time as well. Like something else was going on, you know, that also got put to that weekend. So it was, you know, double trouble for this company. Um. Lots of other stuff happened. I thought the show actually, I it was my first big like magic event to do casting for. I'm super thankful for the opportunity. You know, got you know helped get my foot in the door a little bit more for magic. Um, I really enjoyed it. I had like a kind of a auspicious start. I made like a you know a big mistake in like the first round, like something that I said or whatever. I didn't say anything bad. It's just like you know I just like was like oh god, like that was just so wrong. But then you know by the end of the day and into day two, like it was you know it was just natural or you know better than than what I was to start with. So I really enjoyed that. Um, as far as I know, and this isn't like 100%, but like almost no one got paid the prizes. I think they paid out a very small amount. I think the company folded. And I know one of the big people that was involved, I think they either quit or left the company and they live in another country, like around the other side of the world and stuff like that. So like, I don't know if they like avoided it, you know, did whatever. I don't know if they like, I don't know if the owner like filed chapter 11. Cause like, I barely ever met the guy who was there at the event, but I like talked to him for like a second cause I was busy working and stuff like that. So he was just a big clusterfuck. Like it sucked. Um, it sucks that I was involved in this and I have my name attached to it, you know, cause this also happened to me in Hearthstone. And so this is not, I'm not happy about this that I've had two events where this kind of thing happened. Where in Hearthstone, we did something that took months you know, we ran through an entire season, and then we just, like, never paid out. But there's there's a huge difference between being an employee of a company that fucks people right. over or a contractor for them and, you know, being, being part the one of the who company. Did the, yeah, yeah, being part of the organizing staff. And, yeah, like, I, I was never part of it, right? But, like, I'm still the one who's associated with it. You know what I mean? Like, when people talk about it for Farzone, they talk about, you know, me and, like, Nathan Zamora, or that's admirable. You know, they're like, we're, we were the, the faces of the company, you know? And we were the people on the coverage. So, like, I hate the fact that, you know, I, I know I did nothing wrong is what I'm saying. It's just, it sucks that I was attached to this. You know, this was a long time ago. People have mostly forgotten about it. I forgot how this even came up or whatever. You know, I think someone mentioned something like it or whatever. Every now and then, about once a year, I get a zinger about this. You know, someone said something. I'm like, oh, you know, that that, that hurts a little bit. But 
that's the short of it. There's obviously like more to it, but that's that's the short of the story there. It was just a very unfortunate event that had my name attached to it that didn't work out. So, did you have any questions? Any you like anything else about it? No, to me, it's just become a meme. Where like anytime, yeah, it's definitely a meme. Like, yeah, and and at this point, I think most people have learned that like you basically can't run large scale magic tournaments without a major brand behind you. And and I talked to a lot of people about it, and like you know, the the most of the people that that showed up to play were the people who were paid or locals. You know, yeah. it was just like a big PTQ, like pretty much, and like. Because, you know, they're like, oh, I don't have to travel. I've got this. And, like, I remember talking to people, and they were like, yeah, man, I've never heard of this company. Like, I'm worried about getting paid. You know, I'm worried about, you know, traveling there in the tournament, either, like, not firing or, like, them, you know, making the, the, the payout smaller because, like, you know, people didn't show up or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, there was a lot to it. It wasn't, you know, managed well. It wasn't um, it wasn't talked about enough, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, we have a couple more questions in the mailbag. I want to make sure we get through these. Uh, Brent Wagner, our lovely editor, says, what is the optimal amount of time what is the optimal time to shuffle your deck for it to be randomized? I'm going to say my answer is whatever Ross answers minus half. All right. Go, <laughs> so go there's ahead, a, there's a, a, a famous paper, mathematical paper about course, card shuffling. Of course there is. Of course, that, of course um, you've read it. You probably have it framed on your damn wall. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, it ends up concluding that for a 52 card deck and it, uh, you need seven, good riffle shuffles like uh essentially they mean perfect um riffle shuffles in order to be like to meet the what they devised as a as a sufficient metric for randomness um and i liked the uh i i kind of go based off of that and assume that at 60 cards you probably need eight they did they generate a formula to like um to for n card you know uh decks that said, you know, when we're shuffling as humans, our riffles aren't perfect. So I go, I, that's Mine like, are, but... that's, that's my minimum that I like to do. Um, so there's no real number that I think it is an appropriate number because we don't know how imperfect, you know, our, our riffle shuffling is. Uh, but I like to, at minimum, to do eight. Okay. Good answer. I, I, I... Yeah, I don't think that's that's wrong. So anyway, um, the next one is from Fuzzy Dan. This is an interesting one for me. I like this one. Um, what are your thoughts about how adding cards like Mystical Archives, Kaladesh Inventions, Amonkhet Invocations, etc., to Pioneer Legality would be a positive or negative for the format? I think it would be a massive negative to add some of these cards because they're like game breaking more than just the Mystical Archives, right? Thinking about like the inventions and the invocations, like adding Force of Will, Days, you know, Armageddon. And some of these cards are involved. I think maybe that Fuzzy Dan didn't think down the line of that. I think that's too much to that format because, like, now you're just talking about practically a legacy format. You know, it's like even more powerful. These cards are probably some of these cards are too powerful for modern, more or less pioneer. But I do like the Mystical Archives, you know, in, invocations, inventions. I actually really like those cards, putting those in packs, especially in like the sets that are a little bit less money chasey, like less hungry, you know, like you got some cool stuff added to a lot of these sets recently because honestly, some of them, you're not getting your money's worth out of a pack normally. And it's also cool to have the, what was it in the Willy Wonka, the golden, the golden ticket or whatever, like the golden candy bar. It's, it's, it's cool to have that. And like, you know, one in every couple boxes has a card in it. That's just like possibly worth a ton of money and looks really cool. You know, and is like a Yu-Gi-Oh looking card or whatever. I, I think the idea of those things are great. Putting them into formats is legal in their current iteration, some of the cards are just way too powerful. Yeah. Um, yeah, obviously, like, some you, there's a lot of them that you couldn't possibly do, and I'm not sure, like, I would have to 
go through a lot and see like how many would even be would even make sense and i doubt there's that many so it's just not it's not an avenue i even want to explore to be honest yeah exactly yeah that kind of thing um let's go ahead and get a few overrated underrated done here since we're um you know we missed a week i want to make sure that we catch up on this maybe we can do a little little uh extra one um gold says enchanter style decks i'm gonna go with overrated um i actually not not a big fan i actually think the modern version is underrated i think that deck has a lot of power to it and a lot of ways to blank interaction um I think it's firmly a tier two kind of deck, but I do think it is underrated in that regard. Uh, KFET says squirrels in magic um, overrated though. They're cool in real life. Underrated as pets. Uh, oh, overrated in both respects. I've had, I've had some acorns <laughs> sure. thrown at me by nasty squirrels. Um, so we, we don't so get on, on LSU's campus. Squirrels are awesome. They're almost like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Domesticated. Like, they'll come right up to you and, like, take food out of your hands and stuff because, like, you know, it's just it's so safe on campus to do that with all the kids and stuff there. Also, there was um, there was an albino squirrel on LSU's campus for a while, and you could, like, get a picture of it every now and then. So it was really cool. All right, Joe at Mr. Oh, uh, they did the thing. They did the thing. I love this. Like, the next five or whatever. Or, uh, you know, the thing I thought yeah. about where, like... We got to run on yeah, squirrels yeah. right now. Yeah, no, it's not squirrels. The next one is Joe at Mr. English 22 says, Grief, the new car, not the emotion. Um... I'm going to go slightly overrated so far the way that we're seeing it. Yeah, it's, it's been overrated. And although I do think the card is good. It's just a card without a good home. Like, if 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 there were good cards to ephemerate that were black creatures, I think the card would we those decks would be good. But there just aren't. So it's just not... You can't build a good deck that also consistently griefs early in a, in a fair shell. It's been good in certain Living Edge decks... Um, and that's where you've mostly seen it. But that, like, th- the threat of that ephemerate grief combo just hasn't come together because the decks it goes in aren't good. And I think, you know, we're, you know, years down the road, there might be enough of those kinds of cards to make a deck like that in modern, but it just doesn't exist right now. Um, and, and that's primarily what grief is a victim of. Mm-hmm. Exactly. All right. Uh, Leo the Magic Man says, grief the emotion, not the real card. I think it's properly rated because it's one of those things like, negative emotions are ones that are deemed you know like the like you know pain grief like that kind of stuff. it sucks but without this you wouldn't uh, be able to properly um understand the good parts of your life yeah as well yeah you so. don't get good without bad so yep um zeth force says griefing people in video games obviously massively overrated grow the fuck up same agreed yeah uh rubber ducks us is the grimace uh so this is the mcdonald's character I'm guessing. Because um, someone says the next one is Grimace the McDonald's mascot. Okay, so I'm going to so Google the Grimace, the Grimace. And then I'm going to Google this answer for the McDonald's mascot. Uh, underrated. Grimace is great. Yeah. Grimace is great. Uh, I remember. Do you remember the really bad playgrounds that McDonald's had oh, yeah. when you were a kid out in the front? And they were like ungodly hot because they were oh, made out of like yeah. metal. You would like cook in those things. Yeah, you, you used to like play around in Grimace's head. He used to be like one of the things you could like climb in him and the, the, the hamburger guy or whatever. Um, the Grimace, though, I'm not sure. Like, the thing I just Googled, it's like, uh, you know, it's it's all the McDonald's stuff, and then, like, YouTube videos about the dark, true story behind <laughs> McDonald's evil Grimace. I don't know, man. Like, I was going to say, we're going to go with that. Um, Joe says, has another one. He says, quest cards and Hearthstone. I'm going to answer this one. You don't have to. Overrated. Uh, Cathal says, live concerts. I'm going to go underrated, especially now. Um, yeah, underrated. Uh, 
Gathal says uh, Asmo, blah, 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 Super Califax, Spalidocious. I'm going to go with um, Underrated. I think that card is pleasantly surprised for how good an impact yeah, is. Yeah, as, as good as those decks are, like I don't think people understand how big of a part Asmore is for them. Because when you're an engine-based deck, you don't have a lot of room for disruption. And Asmore can completely dominate a battlefield by itself. In, in oh yeah so it, yeah it's and it sets up the engine it's just it's easily the best card in those decks by a, a country fucking mile so not to mention how important it is in the matchups that like you think would give it a problem like traditionally decks like this have a problem with like the really fast like you know you would think in general yeah, it's something like the really fast or or like is it prowess on the play you know it'd be like creature creature like you know bolt you attack you for a million but you're like I'm going to put a 3-3 into play very, very quickly and then go get a cookbook, which goes and gets me food to either kill your stuff or, you know, survive longer. Like, I think the card is massively underrated. Lee McLeod says, the nickname Karnstruct, definitely underrated. I think it's, like, pretty much accepted nomenclature in, in Magic now that that's what that is. Yeah, I don't know if anybody, like, dislikes it, so I'm going to say properly rated. I'm sure I'm sure someone I'm sure someone dislikes it somewhere, but, like, uh, Normally like, that person is me. Shh. <laughs> yeah, I like. Yeah, yeah, you're usually the old man yelling at a cloud. Uh, I like uh, shortcuts in any way, and when you say Karnstruct, I know exactly what you mean, even if it's not from Karn. So, uh, Leo, the Magic Man, said we, that we we had to say the full name evaluating the card. I'm not even. Do you know how to say it? I'll try real quick. But, I've tried. I, I can't um, even do it while looking at it. Asmo Random or Dick Dasa Tanana Dakar. Okay, I'm I, I'm over it. Uh, Joe, Mr. English 22 says Superman. Um, overrated. I, I think out of all of the superhero stuff, all of it, I think this is the hardest one for me to properly rate because of multiple things. I think, um, the actual character, Superman, like actually Superman, like the hero is fucking white bread. I think he's really boring. And kind of sucks because, like, he's a god. Like, he's, you know, unbelievably powerful. And there's this, like, one thing that really, like, can slow him down. And there's always seems to be an abundance of it when needed. So it's hard It's hard to have a, a, a hero like that have good villains. You know what I mean? It's hard to have someone go toe-to-toe with him in some way, shape, or form. Because he's, like... And he's also, like, infallible, right, too? Like, he's, like... He's literally the perfect thing, right? Like... He stands for truth and justice. He's like, he'll never kill. Like, you know, he never lies. Like, he's like, he, he you know, he's, he's literally just perfect, right? And then he's super strong, fast, like, can't be hurt, you know, blah, blah, blah. That is boring. Clark Kent and all the other stuff, and like him coming from other plans, all this is actually really cool. I love the symbol. I love the music. I mean, like, the music for Superman's great. Uh, I really enjoy the new television show with Superman, but like, I like that in the show, he's almost not Superman. He's Clark Kent a lot, and it's a lot about his family, and his family has, like, real problems and stuff like that, and they, like, made them... They, it's probably the most humanized I've ever seen the character because a lot of the times, especially when it comes to the movies, it's just a Superman movie. It's about him fighting something and flying all over the place and doing all this crazy stuff while the show is him being Clark Kent, you know, like, him, like, being a human being. and stuff. I think that's really cool. So Superman is overrated, Clark Kent underrated. Uh, River Duck, Duck Sauce says uh, modal cards. I think they're underrated. And then eventually I'll probably say overrated when we get too many of them. Uh, I think they're overrated. Okay. Uh, Joe, Mr. English says double-faced cards. Um, I'm going to go properly rated. Yeah, they might even be a little bit overrated. I certainly overrated sure. them in the beginning. I thought they'd be, play a bigger role in, in a lot of different formats, and they haven't really. 
Uh, I assume we'll just keep getting more and more of them. That's just a, th a you know staple of, of magic now. But yeah, I'm, I'm going to say a little overrated. Uh, Brent Wagner, our lovely editor, again, says team events slash non-team events. I'm going to go with, if you asked me this right before the pandemic, I would say team events slightly overrated because we were just getting so many of them and it was saturated. But obviously, I'm going to go with underrated now because I like to play with my friends. Non-team events, definitely overrated. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're like, yeah, let me think. Agree completely. Yeah, 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 sure. Like even even to the timing. Yep. Yeah, sure, literally sure. agreed with every and... single word you said. Okay, cool. Uh, Joe, Mister English says uh, unified constructed team events and non-unified constructed team events. I think I actually like both of them. Like, I love having like there's something cool about being like, hey, we're gonna play in a team event, and like here's the restriction that we have to build around, and trying to like break that within the thing. I kind of like the, I like it every now and then. I, don't, I wouldn't like it if we had to do it all the time. Yeah, I, th I think that can be interesting for some things. I would almost want to see like unified for non lands, <laughs> like especially in modern where fetch lands are so ubiquitous, it just becomes kind of annoying to figure that shit out. But that's like that that it's even more annoying for the tournament staff to figure out the logistics there. So. Most of the time, I don't think it's worth the hassle to do things and do unified. I'd rather just do non-unified. I also think it's fun when the, like the people just show up with like the same seventy-five. We're just running three people playing the same deck, and we're like, you know, team burn like, or team. We dredge. did this in a tournament. Yeah, we did it with. We with did this in a tournament. We did it. We did it a month too late, but. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, still oh, did. Yeah, I'm but I mean that was that was also it was like the Hogak thing, and we wanted to you know make sure that we had a deck that was good enough to beat the field, but could also win against Hogak, and we did, we played nine rounds and never played against Hogak, so that was a a weird just a really weird tournament. Yes, when, when Hogak um, was like forty percent so. of the field, we literally like twenty seven yeah. matches dodged it. Yeah, and I think the last one we're going to do today, this is from Imra Hill, uh, Go Giants, by the way. He says, Post Malone, I would have told you overrated a long time ago. I'm going to actually go with underrated. The guy seems really freaking cool. And he does like a lot of a lot of stuff outside of his music. His music, while it's not for me, I think it's really catchy and, and pretty good. Like I loved uh, his stuff in in the that Spider-Man movie, Into the, Into the Spider-Verse. And like it's made me go and like find some of his other music. It's great. Also, he's just good for the game of magic. So like underrated. Every celebrity ever is overrated 100 percent. sure sure okay sure uh i would be remiss if we didn't talk about our sponsor in this week's episode and that is barrister and man with two ends make sure you check out their stuff i actually have a shipment coming right now ross i don't know about you but i have something coming in the mail i'm a little excited about i have another aftershave and uh shaving soap coming and i'm really excited about this scent that i've got that i've got coming because i hadn't seen this one before and i'm making sure i pronounce this correctly because i'm not 100 how to pronounce this word but i think it's like uh Petrichor, it's it's I think that's how you pronounce it, but it's it's supposed to be it's the like the scent of falling rain. Yes. It's exactly. my favorite word in the entire English language. Is it yes. really? How, how do you say Petrichor, it? you got it right. Okay, I got it right. Because yeah. I had to like look up how to say because I've never actually said the word out loud. This before. is a scent that, that that they've added? I haven't looked recently. Yeah. Oh, I I need yeah. to get and, some of that. So I've got I've got a, uh, an aftershave balm and a soap of it coming along with a couple other things. I got some more hand soaps and stuff coming in the mail or whatever. But I am super excited about this one because I'm not gonna lie. Like especially if you've ever been outdoorsy, especially like a sports person or whatever, you know this. You know this smell. And this is one of the smells that not only is it it's good. I guarantee you, the smell has nostalgia attached to it. It will make you think of a specific time in your life or something. It will almost always put a smile on your face. Like the, it's gonna have some kind of you know, callback for you, which I love these kinds of things. I'm super excited to, uh, 
to smell the scent. Make sure you check out their website. You can find a bunch of different scents on there, the ones you like. I'm I'm super excited about this one. I'll uh, probably by next week's episode. I would assume that this might even be in my mail right now. I need to go check. But uh, I'll, I'll definitely try it out and I'll report back on what, what I think of the scent. You know, if it's too much, too little, or just right, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll three bears it and find out how it is. But make sure you check out their site. Lots of stuff on there for you, your friends, your family, a great gift idea. And make sure you use the code MTGRANTS for 15% off at the checkout. Ross, if people wanted to hear more from you, see more of you, where would they go? The best place is my Twitter account. I am at Ross Hunneds, R-O-S-S-H-U-N-N-E-D-S. A uh, good place to keep abreast of my content that I tweet out when it goes live, as well as, uh, you know, just ask me questions. Uh, I try to get back to people as often as possible. Then there's my written content on SCG. Article this week is all about Colossus Hammer decks and why I think they're very underrated in my uh, proposed list. Um, art- my articles go up on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern, uh, and they are behind a paywall for a week, I believe. So if you want to wait a week and read them for free, you can get them a little bit late. Um, then there is, uh, versus live the web show. I co-host twice a week with Corey Baumeister. We're on the SCG, uh, Twitch channel from one to 4 PM on Tuesdays and Thursdays. That's Eastern time again, uh, playing whatever is relevant to, you know, competitive magic. We're getting preview season starting next week. So we're actually going to be diving into that with, uh, adventures in the forgotten realms. Uh, so it should be really cool doing a little dungeoning. Um, and if you can't catch us live, though, I suggest you do, we take questions from the audience. It's a great time. Uh, but if you can't do that for whatever reason, you can find the VODs on the SCG YouTube channel. Those go up the next day by 5 PM Eastern. And then there is my stream. I haven't streamed in quite a while. I promise it'll come back eventually, but if you just want to get, uh, throw me a follow for now and so you'll get notified when it does, I am Ross underscore Miriam. So just my name on Twitch, Tannen. Where can people find you if they want to find more of your opinions about hitting baseballs? Yeah, so I'd say the, the best place for that is definitely Twitter. And I'm the Tanning Grace on Twitter. Uh, I go through spurts on there about, you know, whether I'm talking about sports, uh, a lot of dog pictures lately. If you like cute dog pictures, I've been posting uh, my little potato on uh, on Twitter a lot lately. And there's other random stuff as well. So make sure you give me a follow on there. Uh, and then for I actually have a stream too. Uh, like Ross, I haven't been super on it lately because I mostly stream Arena, and Arena hasn't been great lately. But when the new D and D set comes out, I'll definitely be you know drafting a ton on there. And if Standard ever gets good, I'll, I'll I'll definitely play that on there. But I was actually live the other day doing some box openings for MH2 because I opened a lot of packs and stuff in like that. So every now and then I randomly pop up on there. But I'm just Tan and Grace on Twitch. No the just Tan and Grace. The is uh, actually a friend of a friend of mine and Ross's. He's holding it hostage. So. <laughs> Uh, that's don't follow that one. Don't give them more reasons to keep it. So, um, as for that, you can make sure you follow the cast itself at MTG rants on Twitter. Uh, we also have a discord. It's on, it's on the Twitter. If you need to find the link, something like that. Otherwise you can message me, Ross or Brent, our lovely editor. And, uh, I was gonna say, Ross, I was gonna say, have you seen any of the pictures? Uh, some patrons have been posting pictures of their play mats. They are out in the world, in the world. They're live. They're in the wild. You can find them. Yeah. I have seen some of them and it's great. Hopefully uh, they came out really, really yeah, well. Hopefully yeah. we start seeing them at stores and stuff like that. Events and stuff. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, um, I actually, I got a, I got a, <laughs> it's funny. I kind of forgot something. Um, so when I was, uh, you know, buying and selling some magic cards the other day, 
somebody messaged me and they're like, Hey, do you have this card? And I was like, yeah, it's like, you know, super cheap or whatever, blah, blah. And they were like, Hey, I'm just a big fan of the show. Like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, tell you what, I'll just send this to you for free. Cause it was like, you know, the car was not really worth anything. So I put it in the mail and they asked me to sign it. And I forgot. I felt really bad, but I put out like, you know, eight pieces of mail that day and I was doing everything real quick and I sent it and I was like, Oh man, I forgot to sign it for that guy. Cause uh, he also has like a play mat and stuff too, or he's a big fan of the show or something like that. So like, I was like, yeah, I'll always help out our patrons just a little bit more. You know what I mean? Help, you know, give them a little something, something on the side, if you know what I mean. So anyway, uh, thanks for listening to this week's episode. Sorry about the long hiatus, you know, the extra week uh, in between episodes. It won't happen again anytime soon. And we'll we'll try to get a quick turnover for the next one for you all for the next one. So make sure you're looking out for that. But thanks for listening this week. And we'll see you all at the next episode. And if we didn't mention your deck, it's not that we think it sucks or anything like that. It's just these. No, are the that's ones exactly that are- what that means. It's hundred percent.